I hope you're all brothers and sisters of faith that believe what we have done so far is received in heaven. Amen. These are the sacrifices of praise of the New Testament made acceptable by Jesus Christ. Thank you men for reading. Thank you Eric for leading. Thank you Daniel for praying. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I want to remind you what we're trying to accomplish today, and that's to make up for the wicked men of Jews and Romans, Gentiles, and what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ by our love and devotion for him in these assemblies today. Matthew chapter 21 is the parable of the householder. I don't want to read the whole thing to you. The householder planted a vineyard in verse 33, and that vineyard was the church of God of the Old Testament given to the Jews. And you know the, you should know the parable, but I want to come down to the purpose of the parable, and it's in verse 40. Jesus Christ is giving this to the Pharisees. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. The only reason there's a question mark there is because it started with, Did you never read? There's no question about it. It's marvelous in our eyes. He that was rejected, and those words rejected are, said it not. When we read about this in Acts chapter 4, those were the Jews. The Pharisees understood exactly what would happen. When the Lord of that vineyard came, he would miserably destroy those wicked men and give his vineyard to someone else. Do you know who the someone else is? It's you and me. And that's verse 43. Therefore, since you got the lesson, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And so by our praise today, we're giving him the fruits that the Lord Jesus Christ deserves and was looking for from his church. Right. His congregation of elect people that he had chosen out of this world we get to give him the praise and thanksgiving and worship, adoration, love, and extol him like the Jews should have and like we are able to today. Yeah. Right. But you know that we are only able to by God's gracious choice. Right. He has made us different and chosen us out of this world so that we are here today and we want to do this. He's led us in his word to this passage of scripture in John 18 and 19 that we would consider his son. We are that nation in verse 43. When you come down to chapter 22, there's a second parable given. And it's instead of a vineyard, it's a king making a marriage for his son. And this is the gospel blessing that we have in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sent forth his servants, that is the apostles, first of all to the Jews to tell them in verse 4, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. They set him at naught. 
they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. That's what happened to the prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. That's the Jews. Go ye therefore into the highways of the Piedmont of the Carolinas, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Amen. So those servants went out into the highways of the Piedmont of the Carolinas and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And let's pray that there's only good here today. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Amen. That is the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ described under the metaphor of a king. We are these that were in the highways and hedges of the world that the Lord Jesus Christ found. Do you understand what a tremendous blessing it is? Most people, even in this Christian nation of America, don't care today. They're doing all sorts of things this morning. They're getting ready for the NFL. It starts at about 7 o'clock in the morning, though the first game isn't played until noon. They're golfing. They're sleeping in because they watched some West Coast college football game last night. They don't care. They make light of it. They go to their business. Why are we here but by the grace of God? Right. And may his grace grip you and me today Amen. about what his son did for us. Yes. His son humbled himself. They didn't humble him. He humbled himself. They wouldn't have been able to do anything with him unless he had chosen to humble himself to obey his father. For us, for us he humbled himself. There's the greatest double reversal of fortune in the history of the universe. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and humbled himself to the death of the cross and is now highly exalted over all men, angels, principalities, and powers. He was high. He was made low by choice. It says he humbled himself to the death of the cross. And then he was exalted again by his father for having done that and given a name which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus that every knee should bow as Daniel prayed and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now look at Romans chapter 15 with me so that you can appreciate what Eric was telling you last Sunday and today. We're the nation. We're the highways. We're the people pulled out of the highways. We're the Gentiles. We're the Gentile dogs. We're the Gentile goyim or the cattle as, as the Jews thought of us. But the Lord came after us. They didn't want him. We do want him. And let's let him know today. Let's make up for it. Being said it not messed me up. If you know me at all, you know from my email that I was messed up. I wanted to go on the war path, but I can't go on the war path like he did in 70 AD. He made up for it. He miserably destroyed those wicked men and burned up their city. Exactly as the word of God tells us. And most of the Christian world doesn't even know what those two parables are talking about. They're still thinking about some United Nations coming in the future. They do not understand that Jesus is king and he destroyed his enemies. And that gospel of the kingdom was preached in all the world for a witness before it happened so that the whole known world of Christians at that time understood Jesus was king. And Jesus had fulfilled all his prophecies. Romans chapter 15, we are the nation. 
because we are Gentiles that God has saved. And this is what we get to do. Verse 8, Eric read this to you last Sunday. He referred to it this morning. Now I say, Paul, writing a church at Rome. The Romans killed our Lord Jesus Christ at the bidding and slandering and tumult of the Jews. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Jesus was a Jew sent to the Jews. That's what that verse is teaching, to fulfill everything written to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the rest of the Jewish fathers. And, and, verse 9, because the church at Rome was a, a, a unified church, but it had two groups in it, Jews and Gentiles, and, verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. There's the first quote from the Old Testament. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people, that is the saved Jews. And another quote, And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Amen. And that is you and me. This is about you and me fulfilling the other nation that was going to come along. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. Paul said it was being fulfilled. We are the house of David, according to Acts chapter 15. And let us sing the praises of the son of David today. The son of David that came into this world 2,000 years ago and laid down his life for us. They could cry, crucify him. Let's cry, crown him. Amen. We won't get very far today. And you don't know that messes with my mind. But we'll do what we can do. Right. Pilate sat in his judgment seat by those words and condemned Jesus and issued sentence against him. When they next meet, Jesus will sit in his judgment seat and condemn Pilate and issue sentence against him. That is my Lord. Amen. Don't get discouraged by what happens here. Right. He wanted it to happen. Peter, sheath your sword. The cup that my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Look upon us and see our love for thee. Ask what you will of us and we'll give it thee. You've put us in a land of prosperity and luxury, peace and protection, pampered lifestyles, and it makes us dull and cold. Lord, I wish that there were martyrs. I partly wish that the division between those that love thee and those that don't would be more obvious. Help us to give our lives a living sacrifice to thee. All oh, these verses in Romans 15 are so wonderful and precious. This is the gift. Notice what it says. He just wants the fruit of our lips, praising the Lord Jesus, along with the converted Jews. And Paul was one of them. And he just he pulled these references out of Psalms and Isaiah, 
and told us that we ought to rejoice along with the saved Jews, that we ought to praise the Lord, that we ought to laud him, that we ought to glorify God for his mercy. And we do that with this thing that is called our glory. Isn't that so cheap? It's so easy. It wasn't easy for him, but it's so easy for us. All we have to do is glorify him with our words and mean it from our hearts and, and think about it with our minds so that we discern what we're doing. I'm sorry that we're not going to have the Lord's Supper today. Hear me out. I trust I have a willing congregation. We're not going to have the Lord's Supper today because we're not going to get that far in John 19. But we're going to have it every Sunday in November. If you're wondering about that, meditate on Acts 20 and verse 7. The rest of today after you leave here. We'll have it every Sunday for the month of November. And we'll just work our way through John 19. If it takes us all of November, it takes us all of November. If we get to the resurrection of chapter 20 before November's over, that's okay too. And I hope that in your heart and mind, you're, you're getting ready to run. You're getting ready to run. When the, when the apostles got the word from the women that the tomb was empty, what did they do in making their way to the tomb? Did they walk? No. Did they pace themselves? No. Did they think, I'll go tomorrow? They had a foot race, yes. and one won, and one lost, and it's recorded for us in the Word of God. Right. So uh, who's going to win? Let's love the Lord Jesus Christ every way that we can. Amen. And he wants our lips and praise today. It's so cheap. He wants our lives too. But right now, while we're assembled, we give him our lips, our minds, and our hearts. And Lord, we love thee. We're looking forward to every detail you want to show us. And we're going to sing your praise. Okay, let's go to John chapters 18 and 19 and look at them. John chapter 19. You know, who came up with the idea of having the Lord's Supper once a month? Can you find it in the Bible? Should we have it once a year? Most primitive Baptists do. How often should we have it? After November, let's have it every week. Let's try it. We can't outdo it. The Bible says, For as often as ye eat, eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Mm-hmm. So for, his, for the month of November, the oftenness is going to be every Sunday. Let's, let's do it. You know, we're afraid of having it every Sunday because we don't want it to become too casual, too ordinary. Well, if that's true, then we ought to wait and maybe have it once a decade to be very special. We just got to balance this, and so we're going to try something for the month of November. John chapter 18. Look at that 40 verses of that chapter. John chapter 18, do you remember? Verses 1 through 11 was Jesus arrested in Gethsemane. Verses 12 through 27, Jesus was tried by the Jews. He was first taken to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, then to Caiaphas. They abused him physically there. They beat him, blindfolded him. Caiaphas mocked him. Caiaphas swore him to tell the truth, and Jesus told him the truth. Yes, he was indeed the Son of God, and he would come again on those religious leaders in power and great glory. That was in 12 through 27. Then 28 through 40, if you're looking at John 18, was Jesus' first trial 
before Pilate. The Jews betrayed him into the hands of the Gentiles. Pilate interrogated Jesus, and the Jews chose Barabbas by John's ordering of these events. Now, for those of you that, are, that pay attention to details, you already noticed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John differ in some little things here and there. You know, we've got a gorgeous robe, we've got a purple robe, we've got a scarlet robe. We've got Jesus condemned after the soldiers abused him. We've got Jesus condemned before the soldiers abused him. The, the different writers, just like men do today when they look at the same event and record it from their perspective, they summarize, they recapitulate, and bring it and tie it together again, or they have a different perspective or view. And so we just let it go. We want to stick with John for the most part, though I am going to insert what is good and necessary for us to fully appreciate both chapters as John gave them to us. John gives us more. We do not know much about the dialogue between Pilate and Jesus except for John. Because in the other Gospels, it says the governor marveled greatly because Jesus never answered him. Nor did Jesus answer the slanderous accusations of the Jews. So let me, let me get that out of the way. Now we're looking at John chapter 19. Let's come to this new chapter that the Lord's brought us to. Do you love the Bible? Amen. Do you love the Bible? If we did not have the Bible and these gospel accounts, what would you know about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? What would you know about his trial? What would you know about the names of the principal Jews and the principal Romans involved in his trial, torture, and death? What would you know without this book? You wouldn't know anything. You can look and stare at a rose with a magnifying glass, your ordinary glasses, your naked eye, or a microscope, and admire the beauty that God made in a rose, but it wouldn't tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look at the stars and analyze them with a telescope. You can try to count them. You can try to figure out how many stars there might be. You can guess at it. You can come up with a huge number that no calculator can handle. But it's not going to show you the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. It's in the gospel. It's in this book. It's in the Bible. And few men have had this in the history of the world. But we have it. And not only do we have it, we believe it. And not only do we believe it, we love it. Not only do we believe it and love it, we understand that it tells us what it teaches about Jesus Christ is more important than anything else. Amen. It's not the wisdom of Proverbs. It's the one in whom was, were hid all the treasures of wisdom. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't need Proverbs. Jesus wrote Proverbs through the hand of Solomon. Jesus had all that wisdom to begin with in his divine nature, and he acquired it all in his human nature. What a Savior Amen. we have. John chapter 19, the first 16 verses were my goal for today. It was a wild, crazy goal, but it brings us down to where they led Jesus away at the end of verse 16. You can see there in John 19, it's the second trial before Pilate. The first trial is in John 18, the second trial is in John 19, and between these two chapters, between these two chapters is Luke 23 that our brother Stephen read to us today of Jesus being taken to Herod because Pilate catch it, picks up that he was from Galilee, and Galilee was in Herod's jurisdiction. So between these two chapters, 
for convenience sake, and I believe it's the best place to put Luke 23 and the trip to Herod, it's between these two. So we call this the second trial of Pilate because it says that Herod sent him again to Pilate. Herod sent him back. Pilate had him. Pilate overhears about him being a Galilean, sends him to Herod. They both happen to be in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? I wonder how that happened. They were both in Jerusalem because they were stationed at Caesarea. Jerusalem wasn't all that big of a sneeze in ordinary times, except at Passover, when it was filled with people. They wanted to be near the coast at Caesarea. Can you guess what the name came from? Caesarea might be named after Caesar. And there they would have ships that could come to and fro from Rome. That's where they got their mail. And they operated out of Caesarea, but they were both here. Herod sends them back, and so we have the second trial before Pilate in the first 16 verses. Then we have our Lord's crucifixion in the next 11 verses that runs from 17 to 27, and we have his burial in verses 28 through 42. So we've got three things in John 19. Second trial before Pilate, crucifixion, burial. And you know what 20 is going to bring us. Oh, yes. The resurrection from the dead. Okay, John chapter 19, the second trial by Pilate. Let me read to you the first three verses, which are Jesus scourged and mocked. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, king of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Lord, help us to appreciate these verses right here on what Jesus Christ did for us. Do you know how you get to put these three verses into practice tomorrow? 1 Peter chapter 2 tells me exactly how you get to do it tomorrow. That when you go to work for a forward boss and things that happen on your job tomorrow that you put up with and you do not revile back and you don't curse back and you just submit like a lamb to the slaughter and do what you're supposed to do on the job tomorrow. First Peter 2, 18 through 24 tells me that you get to put into practice what Jesus did right here. He gave us the ultimate example of it. So all these verses are important. These verses are important to us from a historical standpoint of what Jesus did for us. They're important to us from a soteriological standpoint of how Jesus redeemed us from our sins. And they're important to us in the standpoint of an example of how we ought to live. When others revile us and threaten us and abuse us and mistreat us, and we have forward masters, we submit out of conscience toward God. Jesus submitted out of conscience toward God. And you get to do that tomorrow on the job. I just want you to remember, Jesus humbled himself. They couldn't have done anything to him. He could have called those 12 legions of angels in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is way past the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have stopped this at any point. But he chose to do it for you and me. He humbled himself, the Bible says, as I've already mentioned. John had a purpose for writing. This apostle tells us, if you flip over just a chapter to John chapter 20... We read in the last two verses of John chapter 20, the last two verses of John 20, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. You can lay hold of eternal life by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know that it's in the Gospel of John that we are told that Pilate overheard the Jews saying to him, We have a law that he should not live because he made himself to be the Son of God. We're going to get to these verses. Pilate, it tells us, heard that Jesus made himself to be the Son of God and he was more afraid of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he went ahead and did it because he was a typical politician and feared men and wanted his constituents to be happy and not report him to Caesar and so forth and so on. And so he crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. But brethren, that moment, that moment of truth, do you understand that Pilate, a Roman pagan, got to hear, though it was a false accusation by intent, but it was a true charge by Jesus and what he had done in his life, that Jesus was the Son of God? That is the most basic, fundamental, the most important fact in the universe. Jesus is the Son of God. There is nothing else more important than Jesus is the Son of God. We were created for us to find out by God's mercy and grace that Jesus was the Son of God. There's a planet with men on it and angels above it for the purpose of Jesus, the Son of God. Pilate had an opportunity. Pilate had a moment of truth. He recognized enough in the person of Jesus, the reputation of Jesus, the charges against Jesus that were based on envy, the perfect integrity of Jesus, and the few things that Jesus had shared with him already, that he caught, he, it caused fear in Pilate. What is it going to do to us? Jesus is the Son of God. I turned you to John 20 because John wrote his gospel that ye might believe. The things that I've recorded and the way that I've recorded them is that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. How does John start out? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God, full of grace and truth. First John 5.13 tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe. On the name of the Son of God, I did not misquote the verse. 1 John 5, 13, I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, and I'm preaching to you today that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may do some more believing on Jesus being the Son of God. That's why John wrote the way he did. John put these things in order the way he did, that we might read about Jesus being the Son of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us that Jesus said to the Jews before Abraham was, I am. That's in the Gospel of John. Yes, Mark, I know it's your favorite book. I'm giving you reasons why it should be your favorite book. It's gaining ground on Hebrews. I love them both. 
I love them both, and I want you to love them both. John had a purpose for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, for assurance of your salvation. What he did or did not include was subordinate to his loving design by God's plan for this gospel. You know, you can know you have eternal life by believing on Jesus Christ and obeying him. Jesus is the Son of God. Pilate had a moment of truth. You're having a moment of truth. I'm having a moment of truth. We've had many moments of truth. Do we love Jesus as the Son of God? That is God's darling Son. That is God's well-beloved Son. That is God's perfect Son. That is the Son that God delights in and has promoted over the universe. You can learn enough for gospel conversion by the Gospel of John without Matthew, Mark, or Luke's accounts. There's enough there. The other Gospels have their purposes and themes different from John, some of which are identified. We want to build from faith in Jesus Christ to loving Him, obeying Him, promoting Him, defending Him, and worshiping Him. Let's just keep on growing. Let's not find a state of equilibrium. I'm upset about inertia. That's why we're going to have the Lord's Supper every Sunday in the month of November. That's why we've changed a few things today. We We can't fall into equilibrium. I want an unbalanced force of the Holy Spirit to jar me out of my lethargy, dullness and coldness, to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than I ever have before. I don't want my first love back. I want better than first love. Don't you? Let's ask for it. Let's beg him for it. Thursday night at my house at 7 o'clock, we're going to be asking for more love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and for our children and for our children's children, that we will love Jesus, the Son of God. We want to be sold out altogether like Paul, rather than almost persuaded compromise of Agrippa. I was going to have some little magnets for every one of you to put on your refrigerator, but I don't want to detract from the Lord Jesus Christ and John 19 at all. And it was going to be a little magnet that said, altogether or almost, or almost or altogether. King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The apostle Paul answered because that was a moment of truth for Agrippa. Pilate had his moment of truth. Pilate had his and blew it. Agrippa had his and blew it. Felix had his and blew it. Festus had his and blew it. You've had yours. You're having one right now. I'm having it right now. A moment of truth. All that I am, all that I have, all that I can do is that the Lord Jesus Christ, is he truly the Son of God and deserves everything I have and am? Yes, he deserves it. Yes. The Apostle Paul said, I would that you were not almost, but altogether such as one as myself, except these bonds. Agrippa, surely thou believest the prophets. I would to God you were altogether like me. Are you excited enough to be altogether like the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul did not play with his religion. The Apostle Paul did not just make it to church on Sunday. It consumed his life, and he told us why. The love of Christ constraineth me, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. It was just logical to Paul. I was dead and on my way to hell, but Jesus Christ loved me and died for me, therefore I owe him my life. And he says, you may look at me and think me mad. I'm still in 2 Corinthians 5. You may look at me and think me mad. I'm not mad. I'm just sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you almost or altogether persuaded? Right. 
Do you want to love Jesus Christ enough and or care for his glory to make up for his abuse by his enemies? Does that get you motivated? I don't want our church just to believe some creed like the London Baptist Confession of Faith or the Midlands Confession of Faith or our own Confession of Faith. Just believe a creed that Jesus was the Son of God. Let's love Him. Let's have our hearts moved by Him, our minds moved to devour Him, to run after Him, to appreciate everything we can learn about Him and to want to make up for what they did to Him. I want to shout it on high. Those apostles, boy... Did you like what I showed you yesterday? Jesus had prophesied, they're going to set me at naught. Then we read Herod and his men of war set him at naught. Then we find the apostles in Acts chapter 4. Do you know what that was? That was shortly after the day of Pentecost. They threw that right in their faces. That stone that you builders have set at naught, it's the head of the corner. (laughs) Amen. That's our Jesus. Those men weren't afraid anymore. The power of the Holy Spirit, and it's called the Spirit of Christ. Right. You're able to do anything you should do. You're able to do anything you desire to do for Him. Because God's grace and Spirit and Word is sufficient. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, Paul said. The Jews despised, ignored, and slandered Jesus. The Romans mocked, ridiculed, and tortured him. Herod and his men of war set our Jesus at naught. That means to despise, mock, and scorn him is nothing. This should bother you a great deal as we go into John 19, that a mere tetrarch and second-rate soldiers abused your Lord. Now, if this had been the praetorian guard out of Rome, that might be one thing, but it wasn't. And it wouldn't have made any difference anyway, and you know that I don't believe that. Jesus knew about it his whole life because it was written of him. The apostles let the Jews hear about it. Jesus foretold that he would destroy the men that set him at naught. As we read in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus foretold of a nation making up for it by giving him the expected kingdom fruit. And that's you and me from Matthew 21, 43. We Gentiles fulfill God's prophecy. Let's make up for it by learning of him, loving him, praising him, defending him, teaching him, living for him. Why did God plan and determine all this for his son? Why did God plan and determine all this for his son? The earth is nothing but a stage. There's a drama being played out on this stage. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't come here by evolution. We're here by creation only 6,000 years ago. It is absolutely a young earth. And we are here for the greater glory of God to display his attributes to the universe through despicable creatures called men that rebelled against him in a perfect garden called paradise and the garden of Eden. And he saved them by the death of his son. It's the most incredible drama ever. You know, everything else you ever read about or you watch is so inferior to this drama. That's why you exist. To be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Thank God if you're a vessel of honor and you have any hope or faith in Jesus as the Son of God right now. Because that's why you were made, to be a vessel of honor or dishonor for the greater glory of God in the creation of this world. Lord, thank you for saving us. Why did Jesus submit to such evil abuse and death? Because he was willing to obey his Father and come to be our Savior. God was pleased to bruise his son and deliver him up to monsters for you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. 
how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? That huge transaction of God giving his son for us and delivering him up to those men and standing back and shutting out the son and leaving fellowship with his son for a few hours on the cross for our sins is to save you so that we might glorify him so that he could adopt us and be his children forever. What do you owe him for what he did? You owe him everything. A living sacrifice of your life. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. And that price is right here in John 18 and 19. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, there should be a consequence. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There is much more to it than faith. There is the love that we owe him. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. That's the Apostle Paul. That's not Jonathan Crosby. Jonathan Crosby just loves anything that Paul wrote. Anything Paul wrote is by the Spirit of God. Anything the Spirit of God inspired is from God. God said, if you don't love my son, anathema maranatha on you. You don't need the Council of Trent or any other Roman Catholic council or any Protestant council. You've got a council in heaven. If they don't love my son, anathema maranatha on them. That is the God of the Bible. And he loves his son. We learned that in John chapter 5. And they messed with his son. And he messed with them in the greatest tribulation ever seen or will be seen in the history of this world. He's redeemed us and saved us so that we'd be a peculiar people for him. There's love that we owe him. There's sacrifice. Do you know what it says about the sacrifice of the martyrs? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. You know what it says next? And they loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. If Jesus could die for them, they would die for Jesus. And when you understand Jesus dying for you and you're willing to die for Jesus, he'll put a song in your heart while you're dying. That's right. Do you know what it tells me in Acts chapter 5? The disciples came back to their company rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to have been scourged by the Jews. That's right. Because their Savior had been scourged. Paul called it the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wanted to suffer. Paul looked forward to suffering because it could bring him into fellowship with Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, who had suffered for him in John 18 and 19. Let us gladly publish what great things Jesus has done for us, for all men to marvel. You know, Mark chapter 5 and verse 20 tells us that the Gadarene, when he was delivered from those, that legion of devils that were in him, and the devils went into a herd of swine, and 2,000 pigs drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee, that Jesus told him, no, you can't come with me, but go back and tell your family and friends what great things the Lord hath done for thee. And he went back and told them, and it says, all men did marvel. Let's never be ashamed to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. John 19, 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. No one takes my Lord. He gave himself to Pilate. You'd have no power at all against me unless it were given to thee from above. God had arranged all these things for the Lord Jesus Christ to die a very particular death, 
suffer a very particular trial and torture to fulfill all the scriptures. He is going to die before his time on that cross so that his legs are not broken. Every single detail is to fulfill scripture to the glory of God. Pilate took him, though, from a human standpoint, but Jesus let him take him. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. Now I just told you something a few minutes ago that I refer to now. We place our Lord's trial before Herod as occurring between these two chapters. So when it says then, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, he has come back to Pilate from Herod. So let's flip back over there to John, to Luke 23, excuse me, Luke chapter 23, and read a few verses that are there that our brother already read to us, but that I want you to remember. It's not in John, it's not in Mark, it's not in Matthew. It's only in Luke. Luke's the only one that tells us about him going to Herod. God in his inspiration of Luke, and Luke in his desire to convert and convince Theophilus of all that happened to Jesus Christ, tells us about this part of our Lord's trial. In verse 4, Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Luke 23, 5. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged into Herod's jurisdiction, Jesus was a Galilean. Jesus was raised in Nazareth and spent much of his time during his ministry in Capernaum, both cities of Galilee, just outside the Sea of Galilee. He sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. So it's a matter of jurisdiction. We don't know why there was enmity between Herod and Pilate. It could have been because Pilate mingled the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices, and that was in Herod's jurisdiction. Can you imagine that, that might not make them friends? They already weren't friends because they were competing competing for the land of Palestine. A tetrarch, I told you last Lord's Day, means a division of four. A tetrarch had one-fourth of the territory. But they're going to they're make peace right now. And when Herod saw Jesus, verse 8 of Luke 23, he was exceeding glad. Oh, people get excited at church sometimes. So did Herod. He got, excited. he got excited at church. For he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him, that's Jesus, this is Herod questioning Jesus, then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. So now we're at John 19, 1. We understand that this happened in between John 18 and 19, so that Jesus had his first trial before Pilate, and I taught you that last Lord's Day, and I'm not going to repeat it, and now he's going to have a second trial before Pilate, and Herod was in between. Pilate sent Jesus to Herod after Pilate's initial conclusion of innocence by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 18 and verse 38. The scourging here was after 
The scourging of John 19.1 was after Herod returned Jesus to Pilate. This is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I is going to kill James in Acts chapter 12. Herod Agrippa II, Paul's going to stand before in Acts 26. Herod Antipas was a son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod when Jesus was born. But remember, he died just a couple years after Jesus was born so that Joseph could bring the baby Jesus, the holy child Jesus. I love that terminology in Acts 4. Some people think that comes out of some Catholic missile. No, it's Acts chapter 4, the holy child Jesus. Joseph brought him back from Egypt just after a couple of years because Herod was dead, and the angel told Joseph, you can go back now. Those that sought his life were out of the way. That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great had taken Zerubbabel's temple in Jerusalem and just expanded it out with forts and stuff around it, which you can read about if you read history, and what was had to be destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem because there were forts built around it that the Romans, when they were in Jerusalem, would be stationed in. They're, they're impregnable because it was already on Temple Mount, which was up. Every, any, any assault on Jerusalem, t- Titus had to spend so much time and so much soil and other materials to build ramps to get up to that city. It's an incredible effort. But you know, it's beautiful. It took long enough with no food coming in for them all to starve and eat each other and kill each other because they knew not the time of their visitation. Do we know the time of our visitation? Right now, Jesus is visiting us in this room by his word, by his spirit. Let's make sure we know the time of our visitation. Every time we meet, he's here because he walks among his seven golden candlesticks. That's a perfect number for all his churches. He's got me in his right hand. This is Herod Antipas, a son of Herod the Great, the one who added on to the temple. Herod Antipas had put John the Baptist to death. Did Jesus like John the Baptist? Was John the Baptist Jesus' cousin? Are you with me? Did Jesus say there's never been a woman born of men greater than John the Baptist? How how many minutes did it take for Herod to ask Jesus a few questions? Does it say he used many words? Tried to intimidate Jesus, ask him, explore, poke, pull, push, to try to get Jesus to say something? Jesus wouldn't say a word to him. Did Jesus talk to Pilate? Mm -hmm. Yes, because Pilate had a conscience. Herod didn't have one. Just go read about him. And what he did to John the Baptist and why he did it to John the Baptist. And Jesus right here wouldn't give him an answer to anything. But Jesus did exchange on both trials with Pilate. Now there were times where the Jews were slandering Jesus that he said nothing. And it tells us the governor marveled greatly. But I want you to know we're before a different man for a little period of time. I'm going to go over those Herods again. Herod the Great. Built the temple, added on to the temple, killed the children because the wise men told him that the king of the Jews had been born, but he died shortly after our Lord was born. Then it was Herod Antipas, 30 years later, that killed John the Baptist. Herod Antipas, right here. 
than Herod Agrippa I is in Acts chapter 12. And then it's Herod Agrippa II in Acts chapter 26. But when you get to there, he's just called King Agrippa. But he's called King, King Agrippa. It's called King Herod because it was Herod Agrippa I and Herod Agrippa II. You know, Herod Agrippa I didn't make it to be Herod Agrippa, didn't make it to Acts 26 because something bad happened to him in Acts 12, if I remember right. Do you remember? Did something bad happen? Did something, did something bad happen? You know it was published Friday? It may be in the Tuesday update. A study that was done about the inferiority of Rome. I did not, I did not ask for this, nor am I making this up. A study was published on Friday about the inferiority of Rome compared to its glory days. You do not mess with the Lord of glory. Right. Listen, when I saw that, what happened to me? I was turned inside out. Turned inside out and praised to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ that I worship. I do not worship that long-haired hermaphrodite begging at some door. I worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Right. And he does not take it kindly. And the God, his God, his father, doesn't take it kindly when his son is messed with. Herod's tetrarchy covered the area of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his ministry. That's why Pilate knew it was his jurisdiction. Pilate may have thought he could himself avoid this travesty of justice by Herod doing something. Pilate just wanted Jesus off his hands. As soon as he heard, oh, this is his jurisdiction. You know, Pilate really didn't care about his jurisdiction. That's why he mingled the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. But he wanted to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ so he wouldn't have to rule in the matter. You can see all the way through the pages of Scripture, Pilate trying to avoid it. Pilate was determined to let him go, the apostles said in the book of Acts. Determined to let him go. No, he didn't let him go. But he was determined to until the Jews forced him by their slanderous hand. Scripture had to be fulfilled, a plurality of rulers from Psalm 2, verses 1 through 6, that the apostles interpret for us in Acts chapter 4 in a prayer that they made, that Herod and Pontius Pilate were the rulers that made it plural and fulfilled Psalm 2. It's in, it's in Acts 4 in a prayer that they made. Herod had wanted to see Jesus due to knowledge of his many miracles. Does that get you excited? That it tells us in, in Luke chapter 23 that he was exceeding glad to see Jesus and he had been looking forward to seeing him for a long time? Are you kidding? That curiosity of his, he just wanted to see a miracle. You know, he wanted to see a card trick. He wanted to see a magician. He wanted to see something. He had no love. Don't, don't let us ever be deceived as a church that some people will get excited about a church, get excited about the gospel, but they are not born again nor do they have a work of grace in their lives. When you read those words about him being exceeding glad and wanting to see Jesus, it was just a carnal, natural curiosity of a wicked man. Because in a few minutes, he set his men of war to make him nothing and put him in a gorgeous robe and mocked him. Fascination with miracles indicates a lack of consciousness of the power of God. Think about that. Fascination with miracles indicates a lack of consciousness of the real power of God. You're just looking for some little trick. You're like a dog. Moses told Israel to disregard ability for miracles when it came with false doctrine in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Herod interrogated Jesus extensively, but Jesus did not answer him at all. The chief priests and scribes vehemently slandered Jesus to Herod like they had slandered Jesus to Pilate. 
Herod ridiculed our Jesus as of no importance with his men of war. Since I've already referred to that so many times, I will not go through this long list of scriptures showing what it means to set it not. It's to make him of nothing, of no value or worth. And to us, he is altogether lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But they set him at naught. They mocked him in any way they chose, including a gorgeous robe, and mocked him as being a king. Pilate had a conscience, valued justice, and tried to save our Lord several different ways. Jesus answered him, but not Herod. Herod had no conscience. Jesus had called him a, a sly fox, a fox, for his slyness. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 32, Jesus ignored Herod. Pilate and Herod, formerly competitors and enemies, became friends against Jesus. Well, we made a lot of progress, brethren. Have we made a lot of progress this morning? Amen. We've had many pass passages of Scripture read about our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already sung seven songs, six that you know about, and one that the men sang in the back room. And we're going to sing some more in the second service. I want to keep today on track. We're not going to go too long. We're not going to make this painful for you. I don't want it to be painful. I want it to be exciting. And I'm sorry that I didn't make any progress. At this rate, hopefully I'll live long enough to make it through John 19. But if it takes us that long, so be it. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ and understand what's going down on these pages about the different rulers that were involved, fulfilling Psalm 2, verified in the book of Acts. And we're going to have a number of passages from Acts read to us in the second service. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus. I want you to understand, and you might want to write in your Bible, Herod, between chapters 18 and 19, and turn to Luke chapter 23, where you can read the little history about Herod that's not in Matthew, Mark, or John. And so I am trying to pull the important things together that will help you understand the full trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are the other nation. Let's give him his due. Let's love him and talk about him and celebrate him in every way that he wants. And he loves to hear us sing. The Lord of glory loves to hear us sing. He doesn't care if you're off, note, off tune a little bit from time. He doesn't care. Right. If your heart's in the matter, it's perfect to him. And he loves it. And so we've come together in our first service and we've given him what we wanted to give him. And that is the attention, the honor, the glory, the praise, the love, the affection, the direction, extol him and exalt him and laud him, which the Jews and the Romans didn't do. We've done it. Just like the Lord's Supper and just like baptism, when I baptize someone, I can only make them wet. But it is a matter of faith that they did something very pleasing to God and gave God the answer of a good conscience. And we just gave him the sacrifice of our lips giving praise, and we looked in his word, and we love every single word of it, Amen. including, then Pilate therefore took Jesus. We didn't even get to the scourging, but it will come. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.